book authors are imaginative architects inviting readers to embark on journeys of the mind and heart dedicating this segment to venture on such journeys in our journey podcast with your host smita gunturi hello everybody i have narvas with me today he is an author of the book a crisis centered healing of trauma healing a broken heart <clears throat> welcome to the show thank you for being here thank you for giving us your time oh thank you i'm happy to be here thank you thank you Please uh tell us why did you write this book and what is your story behind it? Well, I was a police officer for over 26 years and um I I saw so many horrible things and not that I'm special all the police officers they see these these horrible things every day and I really didn't realize how it was affecting me mo- emotionally. And so eventually after about 10 years I started to develop these emotional issues like depression and um anxiety things like that and i was later diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder and then it, around my 13th or 14th year i got diagnosed with a a debilitating um disease called um it was a mixture of neuropathy and another muscle disease called Charcot-Marie Tooth disease which is atrophy of the muscles in the extremities and i started going through a bunch of surgeries i had about 30 surgeries in 10 years and um i i knew i was losing my career because of this and if you know anything about first responders their career is their identity so it was very difficult for me to handle and through all these 10 surgeries they kept giving me more and more percocet and vicodin and other painkillers and i really did not use them for the pain i i found that they numbed my emotions which allowed me to get through the day and then after a couple of years i realized that i think i was addicted to them and the reason why i'm getting all to all this is that what i i and then my daughter got very ill she i was diagnosed with some liver tumors and um that was my baby girl you know she's my youngest and that that was something that i never really recovered from i tried to commit suicide twice and and all these were just poor coping skills right i didn't know how to deal with things cuz i didn't know god you know i i i grew up in a christian family but you know i really didn't know anything about god and so i dealt with the adversities in the only way that i knew how was to you know just just cope um by yourself and and the pills helped me i made a bunch of mistakes I, um my my decision making was so poor that I ended up I'm um, stealing some drugs and I ended up getting a a prison sentence in in federal prison and it was at that time I realized that wow you know um these emotional issues really negatively affected my life and all those around me and so when I got to prison I realized that I needed to do something and through a series of events it's a long long story I I detail it all out in my book but um a people introduce me to god and it's only at usually it's only at your lowest point in life where you look up and seek out the help and and that's basically what happened yeah so um when i when i got to prison it was a federal prison in in fort worth texas and they had a chapel there and they had um a a, a seminary come in teaching classes and god kind of led me there and i go okay i i think i see what you're leading me to do so i started taking classes and i ended up getting a masters degree in theology and counseling and then i went on to get a doctorate degree in christian counseling and it was through these schools that i saw 
God's principles of healing laid out in the Bible. And then I thought, okay, just let me try it because I was still going at that time through secular counseling. So even in prison, I, I, every week I went to a psychologist in there and it was about three years and there was really no healing. I, I felt better. You know, secular psychologists do have a great role um, here in the fact that they can teach you great coping skills and, and you have someone to talk it out with. But in my case, that there was no healing and that's what I wanted was healing. So um, I met another officer um, that got into trouble from Los Angeles Police Department. And we started really breaking down the Bible on you know how, how and what God says about this. And once we started doing that, um, I realized that I was starting to get healed. I was starting to feel a lot better. And then it was through this process that in about, I don't know, six months or so, um, I was healed of all my PTSD symptoms. So I have not had a PTSD symptom now for 14 years. It, it's, it's been incredible. And then, um, oh, I, I skipped over the part where God actually healed my daughter also, which was the like the last step in um, believing that there is a true living God. And what happened there real quick is when she got diagnosed, she got diagnosed with liver tumors. Uh, we started praying because um, I, I had just learned how to pray. Um, my pastor of my church had the congregation pray and we did a biopsy. And then in the biopsy, they found no liver tumors and the doctors couldn't explain it. And so that's when I finally knew in my heart that, that there is a true God. And so after that, that that's when I went to prison. So I kind of left out something there. So I'm sorry, that out of order, but that's how, that's how I came to write it. Right. Because then when I realized my healing, I realized, wow, I, I think anybody could do this as long as they believe and have faith in God. And that was my, my goal was to help first responders because, you know, firemen, nurses, doctors, all these people, they see these, this trauma every um, day. But then when I was in prison, I, I spoke to so many inmates that told me about their life stories that it, I could see that almost everyone is broken, right? And if you haven't been broken yet, I truly believe in my heart that everybody is going to have a, a life-changing or overwhelming life event sometime in their lives. And that's why I wrote the book and, and put it out there. What do you think I will learn when I read this book? Well, first thing you'll learn is, see, see when I came, came to the Lord, I, I knew nothing about him. So in the, in the first, well, the first chapter is, I'll tell my story. The second chapter is we talk about PTSD, what it is, how it affects our bodies, how it affects us spiritually. And then I go into a, a short Bible study. So in other words, we talk about who God is, who he sees us as, and then Jesus's healing ministry. So we lay out in the book why we should believe that we are healed and, and all the biblical principles and all the obstacles that go against our healing. It's all laid out in their Bible. And then further on in the book, we go into emotions, what, what role our emotions play, um, using our emotions the right way, using them the wrong way, and um, go on to, to prayer and, and walking in the Holy Spirit. So it, it's a it's a thick book, and that's my biggest complaint, uh, or that's people's biggest complaint, is that it's so thick. But I wanted to put every resource in this book for, for healing, right? And it lays out the, the steps. We talk about journaling. You know, we talk about um, 
you know, how, how to keep, um, you know, by going to church and by um, com um, uh, being communal with other Christians, how that kind of keeps you in a, a healing type of um, position with, because you want to be close to God, you want to be in God's will constantly. So, and when we sin, that's when we get out of his will and we get out of his blessings. So it, it kind of lays all that out for a layman. I mean, I explain everything in the, it, something that I would understand because I took, it took me a long time to understand the Bible. It's hard. It's hard to read the Bible and understand it. People uh, translate it in whatever the way they want. When yeah. they read something, whether it is the true thing or not, nobody knows. Of course, I, I agree with that, but they interpret it in whatever the way that they wanted to, and then say, like, yeah, this is what the God word is. Yeah, all, all any of the scripture in there can be taken out of context. And so um, I recommend, I write this in the book too, is don't don't believe just anybody, even pastors. Pastors a lot of times will, will um, read into it or take passages out of context. Read it, pray on it, and feel what God wants you to, to take out of it. The Bible is written for us, and then, you know, and when we we read it, it gives us a message, right? And and it's important that we don't read it in an academic way. We read it as, as a heart. So what I recommend in the book is to read one chapter, which is usually, you know, less than a page, read it, then read it over again. So you haven't missed nothing. And then before you move on, say, well, God, what are you trying to tell me? It, you know, how does this? affect my life and a lot of times it won't but sometimes you know you'll get this just feeling that wow you know i, I didn't know that and i could use that in my life and it's life-changing sometimes absolutely what is the healing process for you for you like and what are the methods are like anything that you follow to heal yourself oh. well the first thing was to ask for help you know when you're in in the military and a first responder and I'm talking again, I'm talking about nurses, doctors, paramedics, firemen, cops. You don't ask for help, right? And this is in a lot of cultures also. A lot of cultures really discourage men from being honest and open, exposing their feelings, and especially asking for help because they'll, they'll say, well, you're not a macho, macho man if you ask for help, right? So that's the first thing. And that's what I did. And that's what kept me oppressed for so, so long was just being afraid to look weak. And, and that's wrong. We need to to open up. We need to um, expose our trauma to the air. And that's the first step for healing. And when I learned I had to open up and talk about it, um, that's when things started to, to open up. And then journaling was awesome for me when I, I would journal out some of the things that I've seen and some of the things that I experienced. Um, I mean, just some horrific things that I just kept, kept inside. And I held a lot of resentment on the perpetrator, even though, you know, I had no um, relationship to those people, just by being there, witnessing it and being forced to deal with, with their mistakes or, or their, um, their violent actions really caused me a, a deep inner hatred of people and um, a resentment towards a, a lot of people that have hurt others. And I had to clear all that up. So we have to go through and identify those people we have to forgive them. And that doesn't mean going to them and saying, I forgive you. It just means releasing it. You know, you, we're always carrying all this on our shoulders that, you know, um, so-and-so when I was in high school did this to me and I wish them all this bad things to them. 
but you know, they're not being affected. It's only us. You know, they probably don't even remember us anymore. If, you know, we remember stuff from high school, but it, we still, we, for some reason, humans just like to carry it around. And once we start just releasing, it's like a backpack full of rocks. Each rock is a wound, right? So once we forgive those people for what they did, and I'm including um, parents, you know, a lot of times parents do the biggest wounding of the children, but in the Bible, it says, you know, you, you must honor your parents. Now that doesn't mean all the parents deserve to be honored, right? But what it means basically is just acknowledge that they gave you life and you don't have to be friends with them. You don't have to go to, to um, Christmas dinner with them, but at least you just have to release them from the, the, the ill will that you harbor against them because the bible actually says you know that, um, respect your parents or things will not go well with you i mean it, it actually says that so that's that important so once you start forgiving people once you start cleansing yourself spiritually that's when the healing begins you wrote uh, in your book introduction saying stigma of mental health issues and and seeking for help that is what your book is mainly focused on in current society, mental health is becoming like a big topic. Mm. Up until recent, nobody really cared about what mental health is or anything. So when you're mentioning like the stigma, stigma of mental health, what do you exactly mean by that? Well, it's the same thing what I just said. It's you, you know that you're not well. You know that emotionally you're not well. And we don't ask for help because we don't want to seem like people will call us nuts or crazy you know, if, if I'm having anxiety or or I'm, I'm having a panic attack, a lot of times we'll just suppress that all down and, and hide in our room and maybe just, you know, go under the covers in the fetal position. But but that's not going to cure anything, right? And once we put out there, and that's one of the biggest things that I'm trying to do is to get people to realize that you're not crazy if you're just going through some issues. A, a lot of the stuff, not not everything, but a lot of the stuff is just spiritual, right? We just need to, to get right with ourselves. In other words, like I said, forgive others, ask for forgiveness where necessary, do the right thing because maybe you haven't and you feel guilty and, and there's some guilt in there and all these things. But if if we start putting out there, like I live near San Francisco and I'm sure you know San Francisco is a huge problem with homeless and, and fentanyl addicts. You know, majority of these people, I, I believe, are going to come in or be diagnosed with mental illness or dual diagnosis, right? The, the drug addiction and a mental health issue. And and since, I don't know how many years has it been, 50 years ago, the government pretty, pretty much shut down all the mental institutions. So this is one of our biggest problems is, and, and I know from being a cop that you, you can't just arrest a homeless person. And even if he's using drugs, you, okay, so you arrest him for drugs. What are you going to do? You put him in the jail. He's going to be clean for two or three days, but then society has no room for these, you know, um, let's say nonviolent people because they're, they're, most of them are really nonviolent. Then what happens? They, they kick him out and write it back on the street. There, there's no addiction um, a process. There's no, let's take you to um, a recovery program anything like that, because the money's not there, you know, and not that we need to throw huge amounts of money at this, but it's a multi-pronged approach, right? It's just not a police problem. It's a societal issue that really needs to be um, 
debated to see how far we'll go because a lot of people just will not take their meds. You know, and when they refuse to take their meds, what do you do? You know, and, and this is where a lot of the police shootings and, and killings come in is a lot of the people are, have mental problems and they almost want to die. I mean, I tried to commit suicide twice, so I understand what, what they're going through, but the police aren't, aren't to blame. You know, the police only have so many tools and the criminal justice system was, was created for criminals, not for homeless drug addicts or, or mentally ill people. And um, so it, it bums me out when I, I see um, San Francisco get a bad rap. And for some reasons, they, they, they deserve it. But others, it's a societal issue. It's just not San Francisco. It, it's all over the country and all, all over the world. Being in service for 26 years, again, going to prison, that's like from this corner to that corner. How did you actually deal with it, being in power and completely powerless? Oh, my gosh. It was... Um, very, very stressful. I mean, I, I, I was out on bail for two years. So I had two years to, to think about it and to, to really stress about it. Huh. So when, when I went in, um, I basically lied. I said I was a fireman. I didn't want to tell anybody that I was a cop. So I said I was a fireman. But after about six months or seven months in, I, I really felt God talking to me saying, listen, if you want to have any kind of a testimony, if you want to have any kind of credibility, you're just going to have to tell the truth. And uh, luckily, I had some people from the church that had been in prisons before, and they kind of gave me a lot of um, tips like, you know, don't play with gangs, you know, as soon as you get there. So the first thing you just arrive, that's the first thing they ask you, which gang do you hang out with? And I basically said, no, I'm a Christian, and I'm just going to spend my, I'm neutral, I'm going to spend my time in the chapel, and that's it. And they pretty much leave you alone. When they found out I was a cop, I had a few threats, but by that time, people kind of knew me and saw that I was helpful and I was in the church and I was actually helping some people with their law cases and stuff. So for me, it was not a hugely bad experience. There were some scary moments, but pr pretty much it was okay with me. But I truly believe that God was with me there. Listening to your story are like the ups and downs. I'm pretty sure that you might have had like the confidence issues. Uh, were you confident all the time to talk to people or like yet yeah, to perform whatever you wanted to perform or like first time when you are talking to somebody that you found God and you wanted to help them and while you wanted to talk to them do you have any kind of a step back like will they listen to me or such self-questions like confidence issues now or before my arrest before uh, before before my oh my gosh you know I I don't like to admit this, but I, I was pretty much a narcissist. I mean, pretty much um, I could talk in front of a group. I could take command. I mean, I achieved the rank of lieutenant, so I, I could um, um, be the boss. And I, I knew what I was doing. I was, I was, I felt I was a good cop until I wasn't, you know, and, and that carries over now, I think, to, to what I'm trying to do in the ministry by, by talking to people and stuff. But now it's, it's a little bit different because there's a stigma of being a felon, right? So I had lots and lots of friends. Matter of fact, my only friends were police officers. But now that I'm home, none of those police officers will ever talk to me. You know, they, they shy away from me. They won't stop by. They won't call. They won't do anything. It's only the retired guys that will really um, acknowledge me. So there is, is the, the, the shame and the guilt comes in. And to be honest, even though I write about it in the book, I still have issues with guilt and shame. Do you regret anything in your life? 
regret. Mm -hmm. oh, I mean, the, the decisions I made. So, so in my book, I show pictures, but I don't know if you can see this, but see my fingers are all bent up. Yes. That's part of the disease that was happening. So when, when I was 47, this I'm 62 now, but when I was 47, these things started to happen. And I felt that my career was ending because of this disease. Being the, the macho, tough cop that I thought I was, right, or I pretended to be, made it very difficult to seek help. I truly believe in my heart now that if I would have went to my bosses and said, hey, this is happening, I believe they probably would have let me run out my last couple of years until retirement um, at a desk. But you see, we don't think about that, right? Because that's, it's not a job. Like people are a carpenter or, you know, they, they work for the city or they work for the state, but a cop, a fireman, a doctor, a nurse, that's who you are. That's what you are. And there's nothing else, right? So that's, I was afraid. So decisions I made not to open up and not to say something is my biggest regret because that's what led to the isolation. That's what led to the pills. And that's what led ultimately to me making some really terrible decisions in my life. With all this, what is the biggest lesson that you have learned? Open up, talk to people. If you're hurting, if, you know, back in the early 2000s, when I was just starting to go through um, these medical issues and having these surgeries, my wife noticed, she said, you know, there's something wrong. You really need to go talk to somebody, you know, because she noticed that I was very depressed, you know. And I, I said, basically said to her, hey, listen, I'm good. Believe me, this is just a little bump in the road. I'll be good tomorrow. But I wasn't, right? And it gets deeper and gets deeper. And then you start pushing the people away from you that are loving you. And then pretty soon that you're hurting those people that love you because you don't want them to know what's going on in your life, see? So that all comes about on opening up and saying something. So when you're feeling depressed, when you're... I had nightmares that were so horrific. I was afraid to go to sleep and, and I was taking Ambien for years just to go to sleep. At that time, I should have noticed. I should have said, hey, you know, I can't deal with this on my own. I, I really need help. And I truly believe in my heart too that if I would have sought help back then, I would have never been in trouble. But if I'd never gotten in trouble, I would have never met God I would have never been able to learn all these things. I'm an addiction counselor now also. I'm a chaplain and addiction counselor. I would never have been in the, in the role of helping people. I would have been a, a sour, grumpy ex-cop. You know, that's what I would have been. So in my kids, my kids were sad when, um, when I had to leave, you know, but, but we talked about it. And when I came home, they realized I was a much better person now than I ever was then because I had so much anger and hatred in my heart. And now um, I'm open to, to love and stuff. So they even said that the eight and a half years that I was gone is worth it to, to make me a better person. So you give and take, right? God has a plan. God knew exactly what he was going to do. And so I would not, if right now God said, hey, I'll give you a redo, I wouldn't take it. I would do everything the same way. Yes, I regret it, but that's what's made me me right now. And um, if there's people out there that want to look at me, look down on me and say, well, you've been to prison, you're a scumbag. 
it, it, that's going to be them, right? I mean, I'm, I'm doing my best to make make amends for the things I've done by doing these different jobs and, and helping the church and, and helping homeless and all that. So I know what I did. I'm trying, trying to make amends for it, but you can only do so much. And I, I can't, I have no control over what other people say. When you mentioned uh, that you used to push people away without asking help or anything, who were your support system while you actually started your healing journey? Those guys in prison. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, th there was a, a friend of mine from, from, he was from, well, he, I was, he wasn't a friend. He was a guy I met in prison, but he was Los Angeles police department. And he got in some, some trouble with drugs too, because um, he ended up having to shoot in, in two separate incidents, shoot and kill three people. And they were all legitimate. I mean, these guys tried to rob him. He got shot twice during it and stuff, but, but he had learned a lot about the healing principles of the Bible. So he was my support system in there. And there was a couple other people. See, I don't want to bef say befriend because I, I don't think you ever really make friends in prison, but people who support you and people that you support, e even though they might have done some some bad things, um, I, I think there's always redemption, right? As, as long as they're doing the right things to um, make amends. And and that was, and his his name is Ruben Palomares. And he um, he changed my life. He taught me how to look at the Bible and read the Bible, but with the heart. While going through this journey or like turning yourself towards God, pretty sure you might have heard a lot of people advised, advising you like, yeah, you have to do this. You, you shouldn't be doing that. What is the best and worst advice that you have heard for yourself? I'm sorry. I didn't quite understand. What is the best I did? What? Advice that somebody gave you. Oh, the best advice? The, the best advice I ever got was to open your heart to the Lord. I mean... And the worst? Yeah, you know, uh, again, I grew up my whole life in a Christian family, but we really only went to church maybe Easter every other year. You know, and it's not my mom and dad's fault. I mean, it's just the way Americans are, right? Oh. And so I never learned what God was about. So when when this pastor that I met um, through another divine kind of meeting thing, he, he wanted me to open my heart to him. And, and I did. It took a while. But as soon as my daughter was healed, it was like, bam, that, that's it. God is real. So that was the, the best advice that um, I'd taken on that. What is the worst one? The worst advice? You could do it yourself. Don't worry about it. You know, I, I went to this one psychologist who, the difference between a Christian counselor and a secular counselor is that in secular therapy, the goal is to increase your self-worth, your self-confidence, right? But in Christian counseling, the idea is to focus on, on God. And then when you focus on God and you do the right thing, God cha changes you from the inside out. So he was kind of poo-pooing Christianity. Not, not that he was telling me not to, but he says, listen, you, you have to work on yourself, love yourself. And, and yes, that's important. You have to love yourself, but without loving in God and having a relationship from him, because we're separated from him, we, we can't really have that relationship with ourselves. And it took me a while to, to understand that. And when you look in the Bible, and this is all in the book too, when you see the, the, the scriptures that revolve around that, you can see that's what he wants us to do. You, you know, God takes us through everything he will be with us through our pain he will be with us 
And, and even though he allows us to go through difficult times, he will make those difficult times into something positive. It may not seem like it at the beginning. You know, if you would have asked me, you know, uh, 45 years ago, four or five years ago, you know, well, what's he, what good is he doing in your life? I don't know, I don't know yet. Cause yeah, but now I see his plan, right? I see that he allowed me to make the mistakes and he, now he's guiding me in the direction of doing this. Since you talked to, uh, talk much about like, uh, sorry, God, what does love mean for you? Well, it, it there, there, I think there's a couple of different kind of God loves, you know, there's the, the love that God has for us, which is the unconditional love. And I, and I think that's the same with like dogs and cats, you know, they just love you no matter what, you know, children, you know, it, they could have the worst parents in the world that beat them and, and don't give them a food and they leave them alone, but the kid children still love them unconditionally. And then there, there's the, the love of like a, a husband, a wife, because you can't say that that's not unconditional because a lot of times there are conditions, right? Well, I'll love you until you cheat on me. And then you cheat on me. Then I'll look, you see, so there's two kinds of love right now. I'm, I'm focusing on the relationship with my wife because she was just, was a wonderful person to this whole thing. She knew me years before my breakdown. So she knows who I really was. Right. And, and during that eight and a half years, it was just miserable for her. And, and um, she stuck with me and I'm, I'm so grateful. So now I'm focusing on that love, right? And that, to me, that means to be, treat her like she deserves to be treated. You know, don't do anything stupid <laughs> and, um, and just focus on, on her. But I, I think there's two kinds of love. That's just me though. What is success in your life? Success in my life is reaching as many people I can to seek out help if they need it and if they don't need it which is awesome be that person that others can seek out you know be, be that person that hey how are you doing today you know put your arm and hug somebody smile even if you don't know them hold the door open for people just little things that that show jesus in us right because i i believe that if if Christianity has such a, a bad name in a lot of circles because everybody knows what Christians are against. Not many people know what Christians are for, right? And, and the churches do a real bad messaging. And unfortunately, there's a lot of bad people in the church, just like the bad people everywhere, right? So it doesn't mean we have to give money. It doesn't mean we have to to um, feed the homeless. It just means that we have to have a good heart. You know, you see somebody on the street, hi, how you doing? A friend, call, call somebody you haven't talked to in, in, in a few weeks. Hey, haven't heard from you. How are you? Stuff like that. It, that that's what Christianity is. It's not, it's love God and love your neighbor. It, and I was on the other side. I was thinking, oh, the church wants my money. You know, they just, they got all these rules. No, it's just loving each other. So I, I think that that's the most important thing to do is to, if you need help, ask. And if you're doing great, that's awesome. But see if you could help others. How do you practice gratitude? Oh, every night. Um, at work, we even do this. Um, I, I work in a men's residential facility. Every night at dinner, we'll, we say gratitude. So we go around the table and everybody says what they're thankful for. 
Um, I pray every morning and every evening, and I thank him for all the things that um, that I believe he's he's done for me. And, and just just verbalize, and again, not just verbalizing it, but putting those into action, right? So if someone does something good for you, um, do do something good for somebody else. You know, pass it on. Uh, I want to thank you for your service that you have done. It being in the service and now the work that you are doing be a, being a guards person. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.